You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Leroy Butler, Leroy Butler, congratulations, man. This better not be no joke, You man. have made it into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Where my Bible? Where my Bible? One of the greatest soundbots in the history of the Green Bay Packers, Hall of Famer Charles Woodson informing, knocking on the door and informing uh, Leroy Butler that he had indeed made it to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and I thought... Um, no better way to kick off this show in which we're going to talk about safeties that have been taken in the in the past two drafts and, and kind of uh, where the highest graded safeties were taken at. Um, no better way to kick it off than that soundbite. I'm so glad that that got captured. Just a really cool moment. Uh, one Hall of Famer to another. And, uh, and seeing Leroy's reaction was just great. And um, yeah, so welcome into Packers Total Access. I'm your host, Clayton Bailey. Um, you can find us uh, on Packernet.com and on Twitter at Packers underscore access. And uh, we've got a cool show today, guys. The reason that we're talking about uh, Leroy Butler in the safety position is because, in my opinion, you know, a lot of people aren't talking about the safety position on the current, you know, Green Bay Packers team. And I think it's uh, it's really a, a need, in my opinion. Um, you know, we talked about wide receiver being the top need, offensive line being just as much of a need as wide receiver, kind of 1A, 1B uh, when it comes to wide receiver and offensive line. But the third need that I see on this team is the safety position. And the reason I mention that is because, um, you know, Darnell Savage has just really not lived up to the hop. He, uh, he came on the scene and performed fairly decent. But last year again was just a, a real a real down year. He was kind of uh, one of the one of the only parts of this defense that uh, didn't play up to uh, you know to the standard of his teammates. And that's not to knock Darnell Savage. He may come in this year and just and come out like gangbusters. And I hope that happens. But when you look at the contract situation and him coming to the backside of his rookie contract, you've got to make a decision. Are you going to re-sign this guy? Are you going to let him test free agency? Um, what are you going to do for the long-term future? Adrian Amos has been a very vital part of the defense. He's performed extremely well. He's been, uh, in my opinion, one of the uh, one of the anchors of this defense. And when you look at the free safety position with Darnell Savage, he's just uh, he's just not lived up to it. So what we're going to talk about today is, like I said, we're going to highlight the best safeties of the past two drafts and kind of talk about where they were drafted to give us a preview of this year's draft. And hey, does it make sense to draft a safety? And where should we draft that safety? Now, two reasons that I think 
that we should draft a safety or sign one in free agency that that may come along too who knows there's still some pretty good talent out there in the free agent pool for the right price of course we're not going to overpay I think that would be silly but if you add another safety into that room to compete with Darnell Savage two things are going to happen you're going to get the absolute best out of Darnell Savage and then you're going to be able to make a decision on whether or not the guy you signed and or drafted and Darnell Savage you're going to make a decision between those two guys. Which one are we wanting to keep to be the safety of the future? And uh, I think that if you go out and you get a honey badger in free agency, who's I think he's going to be asking for a little bit more money than, than he's actually worth. Some people are saying he's probably going to wait till around training camp where a team gets a little bit desperate so he can maximize the amount of money he makes. But, you know, he's already a little longer in the tooth. That's not your long-term solution at safety. He should be beginning to decline now as he gets into his 30s or well into his 30s. So um, I think that if you draft a safety, you get a one-year buffer period. Savage already knows the defense. It's going to create competition, and we're going to get the best out of him. And then you can make a decision. Is this guy going to be a backup safety, or is he going to step into that starter role and we let Savage walk into free agency uh, and play alongside, you know, the rookie play alongside um, Adrian Amos. So I thought it would be cool to look at the safety position in that regard, but also in our Packers history segment, we're going to look back at um, at the three greatest safeties in the history of the Green Bay Packers. And, uh, you know, this is kind of excluding some of the real old players like Don Hudson. A lot of people don't know that Don Hudson, yes, he was arguably the greatest receiver in the history of the game before, Red, uh, before Jerry Rice came on board um, or came into the league. And, you know, they forget that Don Hudson actually played safety. This is excluding him and a couple of the uh, the safeties from the 20s and 30s, um, but we're going to kind of dive into the three that I feel like had the biggest impact uh, for the Green Bay Packers. So um, we're just going to jump right into the Packers history segment. And at number one is the guy that you just heard um, on that soundbot. Uh, that's Leroy Butler. I put him number one because... You know, Charles Woodson, although he's on my list, some people look at him more of a cornerback than a safety. So I couldn't put him at the number one safety spot. Leroy Butler is a guy that played safety his entire career. Um, he was a guy that could come in and out of the box. They were talking about how, um, you know, Gilbert Brown there in the middle, along with Reggie White on that defensive line, would really eat up space. And they would they would like to play Leroy Butler in the box so he could play the run, blitz occasionally, but also be able to drop back in coverage, disguise looks, things like that. But uh, he is the inventor of the Lambo Leap. I always love that uh, that that video and audio clip of him flying in, making a tackle, forcing a fumble. Big Reggie White picking up the fumble. Uh, rambles for what seemed like two and a half yards, probably felt like 50 yards to the big guy. Um, down the sideline, gets wrapped up, and before he's pushed out of bounds, he laterals the ball to Leroy Butler, who then takes it all the way to the house and, uh, and does the very first Lambo leap where he just kind of stuck to the wall like Velcro. And, you know, a lot of guys today, they've perfected it where they jump into the stands. And, and even Robert Brooks back then, looking back at some of the old NFL films, they could jump, turn, and sit on the wall with the fans. Leroy just kind of stuck halfway up, and the fans grabbed him. Just an awesome, awesome moment in Packers history. But 
Um, you know, obviously he's in the Hall of Fame. That's a huge, huge qualification for being in the top three or being the number one safety on my list. And uh, I think it's important to mention that he actually uh, won a Super Bowl as well there in 1996, and he was a huge, huge part of that defense. You know, Reggie White was on the record many times talking about um, how the the things that Leroy Butler did on the backside of the coverage or the backside of the defense you know, played a big role into allowing Reggie and Gilbert and those guys up front to do what they do best, which was get after the quarterback. You know, it's the old adage that you've heard uh, Pat Kerwin and Tim Ryan say so many times where they would say pressure pick coverage sacks. Nine times out of ten, if you get an interception, a pick, it's because there was pressure on the quarterback. If you get a sack, most of the time it's because there was coverage, good coverage on the backside and the quarterback had nowhere to go. Pressure pick, coverage sacks. And uh, I know Reggie had mentioned Leroy many times in saying that he played a vital role in their dominance up front when it comes to rushing the passer. And I think it's worth noting that Leroy Butler – was actually drafted in 1990. He was a second-round pick. He was pick 48 in the NFL draft. So a Hall of Fame safety taken in the second round. Pretty cool stuff there. At number two is the guy I mentioned, and that's the guy who presented or uh, at least informed Leroy Butler that he did make the Hall of Fame, and that's our man Charles Woodson. Again, the only reason he's not number one on this list for me is because he played cornerback so much throughout his career. Uh, a lot of people wouldn't consider him a, just a pure safety. However, he did play enough of a role at the safety position on the backside of his career that I think he has to fall into at least the top three um, when it comes to all-time safeties in Packer history. Uh, Charles Woodson, a lot of you guys got to watch him play. You don't need me to give all the details about Defensive Player of the Year and, and the role he played in that Super Bowl um, and all that. You know, where he broke his collarbone going into halftime of that Super Bowl. It was just a, it was heartbreak for everyone. You hear about the speech that he gave it at halftime that really kind of lit a fire under Aaron Rodgers and Clay Matthews and those guys to kind of go out and get the job done. You know, a true sign of leadership is not where someone can yell at someone or someone can get in their face and kind of instill fear into them to try to get them to, to perform at a peak level. Real leadership is when you uh, when you create a bomb, when you create a friendship, and you're kind of been in the trenches with a group, and you let them know just how much a, a victory means to you, and it makes them raise their level. They don't want to let you down. They want to perform for you. And uh, I think you know Vince Lombardi. I'm trying to think of the exact quote, but I believe it, what he said. It was in a, a great book. If you guys get a chance to check it out, it's an old book, but it's really good. It's about Vince Lombardi and his Packers. It's called When Pride Still Mattered. And uh, it was a, a great read. I one of my favorite, you know, t definitely my top five books as far as sports goes. But he said, once you've won their heart, they will follow you anywhere. And that's exactly what Charles Woodson did with his teammates. He won their heart. He showed them that he was all in. And that Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame speech will go down um, in Packers history for sure. But. Uh, you know, he uh, another statistic about him, like I said, he's obviously a Hall of Famer, former Defensive Player of the Year at the cornerback slash safety position, nickelback, did a lot of blitzing in the box, things like that. But he was actually uh, drafted in the 1998 draft, uh, round one by the uh, then Oakland Raiders, and he was taken with the fourth overall pick, obviously won a Heisman at the University of Michigan, a guy who has just competed 
and and one had success at every level and it obviously carried over into the NFL and it's so cool to see, see him still have that bond with the city of Green Bay although he did go back and retire um you know play a couple years before he retired there with the Raiders um he he definitely still you know kind of clings to Green Bay and it still means a lot to him pretty cool he definitely had his most success at Green Bay so I can see why he would feel like that so he comes in at number two on my list number three I love talking about these type of players these are the stories that really paint the picture for the NFL. You know, the NFL has kind of morphed into this pop culture type of project, type sport, I guess you could say. And and you, you see a lot of flashiness. You see a lot of uh, showboating. You see a lot of, uh, um, of modern culture that's been incorporated into the game. And it's really a lot of me, 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 look at me, drawing attention to yourself, that type of thing. Uh, I, I really love the old school NFL. I think of the Herb Adderleys, the Willie Woods, the Willie Davises, um, the, the Ray Nitschkes, the guys that just were full of grit, um, full of what some people would say piss and vinegar, right? And they were just, they were hard-nosed football players. With people like Herb Adderley and Willie Wood and Willie Davis on the Lombardi Packers, you know, they had to deal with a lot of, a lot of racist, um, you know, issues. And I don't like to talk about race a lot. I, I feel like anytime race gets brought up, nine times out of ten, it's dividing people. And I just I refuse to look at the world in uh, in that light. I refuse to look at another human being and think that the color of their skin affects the the person that they are. Um, I, I also, on the flip side, I don't believe it's fair to to say that just because someone is white, that automatically makes them racist, that makes them privileged. I think that's silly, too. I think this is all stuff that's drummed up by uh, politicians on both sides of the aisle that just want to keep us divided. I refuse to accept it. I, some of my closest friends are, uh, are not white like me, right? I'm a mutt myself. I've got everything from, my God, I've got Native American Cherokee. I've got Irish and Scottish blood. I've got uh, uh, Hungarian. My great-grandparents were Hungarian immigrants that actually uh, immigrated over um, before Hitler was trying to invade Hungary. They got out just in time um, to uh, to come here to the United States. So I just, uh, I don't know, I refuse to see race. But I, I mention all that because during that time frame, you had all this segregation and, and, and you know, if anybody you know hasn't seen Remember the Titans, go watch it tonight. Go watch it tonight because it's a, a movie that really breaks down uh, you know past experiences where players had to you know they they kind of when they stepped on the field when they put on a uniform they didn't see race as where you know society was seeing it you know 100 percent they were completely against you know uh, bringing multiple races in together. But when you're on a football field, that stuff doesn't matter. And when you get back into those time frames, you know, the 70s, the 60s, and the 50s, um, I think that that's just a, a huge part of the history of the game and how these people played together. But number three on my list, obviously Herb Adderley and Willie Wood, they mostly played corner, and, uh, and, and it's kind of hard to distinguish between them and putting them on the list. But I'm going to go with Bobby Dillon. And if you've never heard of Bobby Dillon, what a colorful, colorful uh, story. This is a guy that, that played in the 50s. He leads the Packers, Green Bay, all-time in interceptions. 
and he was just inducted to the Pro uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame, I believe, two years ago. It was long overdue. You're talking about a guy that leads the most storied NFL franchise in interceptions, and he still wasn't in the Hall of Fame. There's something wrong. But here's what's really cool about Bobby Dillon. He was blind in one eye. And when I first heard that, I thought, how does a guy lead lead the Green Bay Packers all-time in interceptions with one eye. It must have been legally blind in one eye. You know what I mean? Like, he can see, you know, some stuff. It's not like he can get disoriented. No, guys, he played his entire career with a glass eyeball. A glass eyeball Bobby Dillon played with. So, he's number three on my list. Like I said, all-time Packer leader in interceptions. He's a pro football Hall of Famer. He was actually drafted in the 1952 draft when there was less teams Round three, pick 28. So that's my top three safeties in the history of the Green Bay Packers. I thought it would be cool to kind of dive into a little bit of history there and just tell a couple of backstories. You've got coming in at number one, Leroy Butler, the inventor of the Lambeau League, Pro Football Hall of Famer, Super Bowl champion. Number two, Charles Woodson, uh, Pro Football Hall of Famer, former defensive player of the year, and uh just a just a superstar, and then number three, Bobby Dylan out there running around like like a pirate with one eye, with a glass eye. Right immediately, I thought when I when I read that and I understood, okay, I accepted the fact. No, he had a glass eye. First thing it made me think of was Pirates of the Caribbean. Remember the dude that gets if you've never seen it, you need to go watch it. But remember the guy gets the fork right in the glass eye. Right, I'm thinking, how in the world is somebody playing at the NFL level? with a glass eyeball. That's just amazing, amazing story. So there it is. There's your Packers history for the episode. Now we're going to take a short break, and we're going to dig in to some of the safeties that were drafted in the last two years and see exactly where they were drafted and uh, and how they performed. And we're going to kind of give you an idea of where we could find good value based off a two-year saturation in the NFL draft and where we may be able to draft a player this year that, who knows, could beat out Savage and be our starting free safety or – uh, you know, could could kind of sit behind Savage for a year, lot of fire under him. You've either got depth and you re-sign Savage, or he steps right into that starting role. But first, let's take a quick break. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing slab packs from arenaclub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, now we're going to jump into the safety position and uh, and the the players that were drafted in the last two. We may even go three years because it's such a short list when it comes to the safety position. But we're going to talk about the PFF grades and where these players graded out. And we're going to rank it by PFF, overall defensive grade, right? And uh, we're going to start with the 2021 NFL Draft. And coming in at number one is Javon Holland out of Miami with the Miami Dolphins, right? He was actually the number eight ranked safety in all of the NFL last year. He was drafted in the second round, pick 36. So already you're seeing that the number one draft as far as PFF grade, where he graded out on his on-the-field performance at an 84.7, which his coverage grade was actually an elite grade, and his defensive grade, I think, was borderline elite. So you're talking about the best of the best was a second-round pick. You're already seeing you can get good, good value at the safety position there in the second round. At number two, coming in at a 71.8, is Trayvon... Morig, I believe is how you say his name. He was ranked the number 25 safety in the entire NFL according to PFF last year. He was a second round pick, pick number 43, and that was with the Las Vegas Raiders. So there, I'm not going to go any further because after that it dips below the 70s. So I mean, it just shows you in last year's draft, according to PFF, only two players ranked in the 70s or above, and that was Holland with the Miami Dolphins and Mulrig with the Las Vegas Raiders. Now let's go ahead and jump ahead, jump back to 2020 and see what that looked like. And you've got a little bit broader list here. Keep in mind, guys, this is the sophomore season of this draft class last year and how they graded out. And right at the top, you're seeing um, an excellent, excellent football player in Antoine Winfield Jr. out of Tampa Bay. He played for the Buccaneers. He graded out at an 89 point one and he was the second highest ranked safety in the entire NFL last year. So in the 2020 draft, in his second year in the league, he grayed out at an elite 89.1. He was drafted, guess guess what? The second round pick 45. Again, second round picks at the safety position, huge value in past drafts. At number two, You've got Xavier McKinney for the New York Giants. He graded out at a 75.4. He was the 15th ranked safety. Now keep in mind, guys, this is this includes free safety and strong safety. So the 15th best safety in the entire NFL, Xavier McKinney, he was drafted in the second round, pick 36. 
Moving on to number three, you've got the L.A. Rams and Jordan Fuller. He was the 19th ranked safety in the entire league. He graded out a 74.3, and this one's really cool. Jordan Fuller was drafted in the sixth round of the 2020 draft, pick 199. Could you imagine spending a six-round pick on a player that's going to grade out at a 74.3? That's almost at Adrian Amos's level. Think of the money that we paid Adrian Amos, and I think it was worth every penny. The guys performed well. That's a good, solid PFF grade. So Jordan Fuller, round six, pick 199. Then at number, uh, the last one of the 2020 draft, at number four is Jeremy Chin from the Carolina Panthers. He was the 23rd best safety uh, of last year, according to PFF. He graded out a 71.4, and he was drafted in the second round, pick 64. So what you've seen so far in the last two years, guys, is you've seen the top performing safeties out of the last two draft classes were taken no higher than the second round and one of which was actually taken in the sixth round. I'm going to crawl back one more year here. We're going to go to 2019's draft class and look once more. And here we have at the number one spot, Amani Hooker for the Tennessee Titans. He graded out at an elite 85.9 on PFF, and he was drafted round four, pick 116. At number two, you had Marcus Epps, 74.6 was the PFF grade. Actually, his run defense grade was off the charts at an 88.9, um, and uh, coverage grade was at a 69.7, so definitely a run stopper, but overall grade 74.6. Guys, Marcus Epps for the Philadelphia Eagles was drafted the sixth round, pick 191. I'm going to go one more. Juan Thornhill, Kansas City Chiefs, graded out a 70.1. He was taken in the second round, pick 63. It's important to mention this because there has been no safeties in the last three draft classes that were drafted in the first round that's panned out. You understand what I'm saying? As far as PFF grades, you're talking about players that have outperformed where they were drafted, and I think it's huge. I'm going to kind of break your heart here a little bit guess where Darnell Savage was drafted this is the 2019 draft the one I've got pulled up Darnell Savage is on this list he was drafted first round pick 21 okay he graded out last year at a 58.4 a 58.4 in that same draft you could have grabbed the top performing safety of that draft class Amani Hooker in the fourth round pick 116. I personally think it would be silly to use a first round pick on a safety. I'm sure you agree seeing that offensive line and wide receiver are our top needs. But I really think having that extra second round pick would be worth taking a swing at safety um, in this year's draft. If, of course, Goody's scouting department agrees with it, they see the talent there for the value of the pick and, uh, and pull the trigger. I think that's something to kind of look for in this year's draft. And uh, when the big board's finished, we're definitely going to go back, just as we've gone back in the past, looked at these draft classes and said, okay, out of our top needs, 
what are the players that have performed the best and where they where were they drafted? As soon as my draft board is complete, what I'm going to do, and this will probably be a couple of weeks before the draft, we're going to revisit these needs, and I'm going to say who I feel like my top players at those positions are going into the draft. And then, of course, when we go live on draft night and you guys tune in for the draft show here on uh, Packernet Podcast on the live YouTube channel, um, you're going to be able to kind of hear us talk about our big boards and how we feel about certain players. But the way it's stacking up right now, if we were to just go off of the past information of where these players were drafted, right, what round, by what position, and where the value really was, to me, wide receiver is second round is where you're getting your best value, right? Offensive line, if you're going offensive tackle, you better grab them in the first round. If you're going offensive guard, which we've, we've kind of talked about, that they could slide Elton the right tackle and draft a guard or two to kind of fill out that offensive line, no problem going second round and even later, some of them into the sixth round. And now you're talking about the next need, in my opinion, at the safety position because, again, Darnell Savage, 58.4, guys. That is a horrible PFF grade for a starting safety in his third year in the league. If you're going to draft a safety, there's no reason to take one in the first round. You're getting your maximum value according to a three-year saturation of the NFL draft and what's happened in, in, you know, in the recent past. You can get plenty of value in the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth round and land one of these players. I mean, we would be on cloud, right now, cloud nine right now, guys, if we had a Monty Hooker starting at safety. I mean, you're talking about a coverage grade of 86.9. The way Amos rolls in and out of the box, if you had an Amani Hooker playing deep safety, our defense would be dominant. Now, this is this is me assuming that Rasul Douglas is not going to play safety. I have heard several people mention that Rasul Douglas may play safety. I think that's just a rumor up to this point. I really do. I think he's going to stay at corner. However, there was something that happened that kind of piqued my interest a little bit. I don't want to jump into conspiracy theories or anything like that. But if you guys remember, Darnell Savage sent a tweet out where it was like, I think it might have been an emoji where it was like an upset emoji or maybe one that was like, you know, the with the mouth covered like it was going to throw up, like it was nauseated, it was sick, you know. And then it was like the next day, Rasul Douglas, or the next couple of days, Rasul Douglas, the rumors started heating up that he was going to get re-signed. It almost makes me wonder... Did the team inform Darnell Savage that he, A, is either getting cut, I doubt that this year, or B, might be playing more of a backup role or, or more of a uh, a swing safety role where he's going to roll in and out, and maybe Ross, maybe he was informed that Rasul is going to be the starting safety? I have no reason to believe that's true, but if you'll notice, right about the time that all that happened, all of a sudden some rumors come out that maybe Rasul can play safety, maybe he can play safety. I tend to agree with Ryan Schlipp when people just pretend like cornerback can just immediately switch to safety like it's all, oh, yeah, they won't even miss a beat. I think that's reaching. I really do. Um, it's very rare that a corner does change to safety and do it effectively. And when they do, it's typically Hall of Fame caliber players like a Charles Woodson, like a Rod Woodson, those type of players. Um, yeah, so you know, I think that it would be wishful thinking at this point to assume that Rasul would play safety. And I really like the idea of us being stuck in that nickel so often with, with how the the league lines up in so much 11 personnel that I would much rather have Rasul 
and uh, Rasul and Stokes on the outside with Jair playing a little slot if indeed he is healthy enough to do that and or even like the you know the most recent rumor that Jair is just going to follow the number one receiver much like uh, you know uh, Jalen Ramsey did for the LA Rams here in the in the uh, the last couple of years uh, I, I love the idea of having that much depth and uh, really three starting caliber corners on the field in your nickel defense, which we know is going to be the majority of the snaps on defense uh, when it comes to the NFL and how the games evolve. So, um, again, that's just a, a quick breakdown, a, a cool little exercise. That was my third need for this team, in my opinion, and uh, just wanted to kind of point out where those players are taken. But, again, if we had a Monty Hooker playing free safety, we'd be in great shape. And just to bounce back to 2020, if we had Antoine Winfield, Imagine if we took Antoine Winfield last year in the draft, if we traded up and, and got him in the second round, right, in the 2020 draft, excuse me. Um, imagine having an 89.1 elite grade free safety uh, there. He had an 87.6 coverage grade and a uh, run, as a run defender was just as good at 86.7. Again, that was a second-round pick. And then jumping back to the 2021 draft, imagine if we in the second round could have somehow landed uh, J- uh, Javon Holland out of Miami and uh, or for the Miami Dolphins at an 84.7. That's a far cry from a 54-point uh, PFF grade at free safety for Darnell Savage. So that's why um, I list safety as a need. That's something that we could immediately improve on and do it with not necessarily a lot of draft capital. It's also a reason, guys, where I'm not opposed, and people are going to kill me for this, I'm not opposed to trading out of the first round. I know if we did a live draft party and the Green Bay Packers traded out of the first round with both their first-round picks, that would be a boring party. Okay, I'm just going to tell you right now. Ryan Schlipp will be giving us all the evil eye. And if it happens, everybody's going to blame me now, like I put it in, in motion, right? But could you imagine trading out of the first round, picking up – let's say you traded out of the first pick, right, the the number 22 pick. You traded out, and let's say you picked up a second this year and a second next year, or maybe even a second this year, a second next year, and a fourth next year, something like that. And then you traded out of this the second first-round pick. You picked up another second this year. Imagine sitting in this year's draft with four second-round picks and going into next year with multiple early picks as well. I mean, you would have four swings, really more than four swings to be honest, to, to grab receiver, to grab offensive line, and to grab safety depth. Right. Imagine making multiple picks in this second round. If you were somehow able to pick these players that are playing at an elite PFF level, right, um, in the second round would be huge. And I'm going to tell you another reason why I tend to think that would be a great idea. This salary cap talk that everyone has hit on um, over the last several weeks since Aaron Rodgers' contract has been finalized, and you know, obviously, it was not. The reason that Devontae Adams walked, I think it was the negotiating process that kind of forced him out the door. And obviously he, he made the decision, like Mark, Mark Murphy said uh, just a couple days ago in his interview there. He said, you know, it came down to Devontae wanting to leave. And, uh, you know, on a personal level, we didn't want to deny him that. And we got great compensation back, essentially, is what Mark Murphy said, right? But I say that because we signed Aaron to this huge contract. We've got Jair's contract that we've got to uh, put together. We've got um, 
uh, who, who's Elton Jenkins is going to be coming up. We've got Rashawn Gary coming up. Guys, these are going to break the bank when it comes to cap hits. Now, yes, you can structure them in a way that it might be back-loaded or front-loaded. That's another reason why maybe the Packers aren't being as aggressive this year. A lot of people want to talk about if they restructure Jair Alexander or if they re-sign Jair Alexander, how much money it's going to free up this year. You know, another option that they can do is front-load that contract. Imagine if, okay, you're $15 million under right now. What if you could front-load it that occupies $10 million of the cap this year? right this this calendar year and it's going to free it up on the back side and that's going to help absorb that hit with Aaron Rodgers and the reason I mention this is because if you do trade out of the first round and you pick up second round picks the salary hit the salary cap hit for these draft picks are significantly lower once you get out of the first round from the third round on is almost like free money guys that's why it's so important to hit on those late round picks and you've got guys that are contributing to the team on a very low salary cap hit, you know, for the next th- at least three years before they want to restructure. It's very rare that someone's drafted um, from the third round on that restructures um, earlier than two years or earlier than three years into their rookie deal, right? So um, the way the CBA is set up, it really caters to this approach to where if you want to draft outside of the first round, you're sitting pretty. Again, it's all going to come down to how the board falls. If the board falls and there is one absolute top-tier player within striking distance and the Packers want to trade up, I'm all for it, okay? But if we come to pick 22 and the the board has failed to where we didn't have a top-tier elite talent, the way I judge first-round picks, guys, if they're not an immediate starter, I don't like that as a first-round pick. Quarterback is a little bit different. The Jordan Love pick, a little bit different because quarterback carries so much value that you could flip that for multiple picks if indeed you did hit on that pick. Or, you know, God forbid, two years from now, three years from now, Aaron decides to walk away and we step right into a franchise quarterback if indeed that was a good pick, right? But I just think it's worth noting that, uh, that you know, it's okay to, to, it's okay to trade up and it's okay to draft in the first round if that player is going to start immediately, right? Um, Darnell Savage pretty much started immediately. He, he he played a lot better two years ago, but now we see where he's at. It's not really panned out. If you trade out, you're saving on that cap hit, and uh, you're going to be able to take multiple swings. It's going to it's going to ease up a little bit on your cap uh, cap numbers and flexibility uh, in that regard. I just think I think it makes a lot of sense when it comes to. Uh, to trading out and making multiple picks in the second round on. So, um, yeah, that's it. That's what I wanted to cover on the safety position. And, uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's worth noting that, that we could get some really good value at the safety position um, outside of the first round. And I think it's definitely a position that we need to try to attack this offseason as far as depth and possibly a starter. Before we wrap this up, I do want to hit on the top-graded safeties from last year in the NFL, okay? And we're going to briefly mention where they were drafted. This is really going to play into exactly what I'm talking about as far as possibly drafting a safety that could step into a starting role for us outside of the first round. So with that being said, the number one highest grade of PFF safety last year was Kevin Bayard or Bird, I guess is how you say it, out of Tennessee for the Titans. He graded out a 90.4 elite grade off the charts. He was drafted in 2016, a third-round pick, pick 64, 
Okay. At number two, we already mentioned Antoine Winfield, 89.1. He was a second-round pick, 45th overall in the 2020 draft. At number three is another guy we mentioned, Amani Hooker, Tennessee Titans, 2019 draft pick, picked in the fourth round, pick 116. At number four is Javon Holland out of Miami, 84.7. He was a second-round pick, pick number 36. At number five, this one's going to make you a little sick. We had to watch him walk, right, in free agency. Free safety, or uh, I'm not sure if he's playing free or strong. The beautiful thing about Micah Hyde, he was so versatile when he was in Green Bay, and I know he's done the same thing for Buffalo. But Micah Hyde comes in there at number five for Buffalo. He was drafted in the fifth round, pick 159, and graded out in an 83.8. Next is MJ Stewart out of Houston, 83.8. He was a second round pick, pick number 53. And the last one we'll cover here is Marcus Williams. Actually, we'll cover two more. Marcus Williams for the Baltimore Ravens, 80.1. He was a second-round pick, pick number 42. And this one right here is great. Adrian Phillips, the New England Patriots, 80.0 PFF grade. And he was an undrafted free agent in 2014. Guys, there's a lot that can be done at the safety position outside of the first round. And we have a chance, history says we have a good chance of finding a starting caliber, top five, top ten safety if he's coached up right. And we know Coach Gray knows how to coach the defensive backs. Nobody's arguing with that. Um, I think it would be silly not to try to grab a safety this year in this year's draft if indeed someone in a top tier falls in your lap outside of the first round. So, uh, again, that's the safety position. I thought it would be cool. That would be worth mentioning right there as well, um, just running down the top safeties according to PFF last year. All right, gang, before we wrap this big bear up, we're going to hit on a few uh, a few headlines, news, I guess you could say. Um, these are things that not are necessarily uh, you know applied to the Green Bay Packers as far as direct news, but things that really could play a role in the upcoming draft and, and just other news across the league, things that I feel like um, as a Packer fan maybe you should kind of pay a little bit of attention to. The first one being an Ian Rappaport tweet um, that he said that USC has moved Drake London's pro day to April 15th per the request of London and his agent Andrew Kessler. London had a mild hamstring strain while training this weekend, and the new date allows him to be fully healthy for his workout. London's a potential first wide receiver off the board, so I think it's important to mention that because I know Drake London has been mentioned several times amongst Packer fans as a potential target at wide receiver there in the first round of possibly trading up and getting him. Ryan hit on it a little bit. Um, Not that he's advocating for that move, but uh, just something worth noting that Hey, you know, this is a guy that that just strained a uh, uh, a hamstring, right? And we know how hamstrings can be. I'm not saying this is a career-altering injury, but if you think for a second that him having to push a pro day back is not going to raise a couple of red flags with a hamstring uh, strain, people are going to do their due diligence. They're going to try to snoop around um, behind the scenes and see is there anything significant there. When you're talking about a big-body receiver, you know, that's something that can play a role 
and uh, in future injuries too. I mean, you're talking about a big frame putting a lot of strain on joints, ACLs, um, you know, muscle strains like that. Um, I think it's important and worth noting that, you know, Drake London had to move that pro day back. Other news that I feel like applies to the Green Bay Packers, there's been a lot of rumors. I don't know exactly where they're coming from that Green Bay might be in the market for DK Metcalf and trading for him, right? Well, Ian Rappaport uh, retweeted uh, Bob Condotta, I guess is how you say his name. Uh, he said, worth noting, Rappaport also said, I think they want to get a deal done. I think they end up doing it. But until the team, until they do, teams are going to keep calling. And this was in relation to both Metcalf and AJ Brown. So, and the original tweet said that there was rumors teams are calling Seattle about trading for wide receiver DK Metcalf. In the meantime, Ian Rappaport is reporting that DK Metcalf and Seattle are working on a new deal. But until that new deal is complete, they're going to continue to field, uh, you know, phone calls as far as offers for DK Metcalf, and, and rightfully so. I don't think there's any harm in that. Hey, if somebody pops up and says, "Hey, I'll give you a first and a second for DK Metcalf," and they're nowhere near where they want to be on striking a deal for Metcalf. There's a no trade there's there doesn't, you know, a no trade clause doesn't exist with DK right now. Yes, he can fight it a little bit and try to create a little bit of a ruckus if it's a team where he doesn't want to go play and obviously they'd be granted permission for him to negotiate a new contract with that team to kind of you know make them, you know, a little more accepted to a uh, to a trade maybe. But again, I think it's just all rumors. I think it would be silly for Seattle to trade DK Metcalf. I wasn't a huge fan of DK Metcalf, but he's proven me wrong. When you look at the PFF grades, the guy has performed extremely well um, over the last couple of years. I think he's a legit number one wide receiver. He's a freak of nature. When you see the guy, his size, his speed, all of that, um, I just think, why would you do that in Seattle? You know, there's a lot of teams that are that are looking for that kind of talent at wide receiver now. If the argument is <clears throat> we don't want to pay him Devontae Adams money or Tyreek Hill money, I completely understand that. I just have a hard time believing DK Metcalf is trying to set the market because he doesn't have those kind of pelts on his wall, right? He's not performed at quite that level, but he has shown this guy can play at the NFL level, and he is a legit number one. It's just I don't see him being a, a receiver that that's deserving of a contract that's going to reset the market. In other news worth noting, especially when it comes to the first round of this year's draft, is a trade that took place between the Eagles and the Saints. I'm going to try not to butcher it. Ian Rappaport uh, tweeted out the details. He said the Eagles trade picks number 16, 19, and 194, 194 to the Saints in exchange for picks 18, 101, 237, and a 2023 first round pick, which is huge, and a 2024 second round pick. So you might be asking yourself, why did this trade take place? Well, Ian Rappaport elaborated on a later tweet where he says, from our breaking news segment, thanks to this trade, if the Saints wanted to come up and take a quarterback, they are now positioned to do so. So think about that. In acquiring those two first-round picks in this year's draft, they now have the draft capital to be able to climb up and get a quarterback of their choice. Now, Ian's not confirming that that's their plan, but it sure seems like it. Anytime you're sitting there with two first-round picks and one of your glaring needs is at quarterback. I know they re-signed Jameis Winston, right? That's a that's a big signing there in New Orleans. Like he He's a guy that when he was healthy last year, he actually performed fairly well. Forget everything outside of last year. Last year alone, he showed glimpses of, hey, he can be the guy. But the contract he signed 
was in no way a top three, top five, top ten quarterback contract. So is he just a placeholder if there is a guy indeed in this draft that they're looking at taking? And it cracks me up because we talked several weeks ago how a lot of people were saying there are no first-round quarterbacks in this draft. Now there's rumors that three may go, and we hit on that on past podcasts. Now all of a sudden there's rumors that three of them may go. You know, two of the most notable, in my opinion, are uh, Kenny Pickett, right? And uh, I know that the reason that he's so high on my list is because I've heard Greg Cosell talk talk about him. He raved over how the guy has the mind. He talked about how scouts at the Combine bragged to Cosell as well about this guy has the mindset to play quarterback. Everything they're saying, it reminds me of Mac Jones last year. You know, they were talking about Mac Jones isn't as – isn't as mobile and isn't as much of an athlete and have such a live arm and does he have the arm strength to play. The guy had the highest uh, PFF grade amongst rookie quarterbacks last year, and the number one trait they said he had was between the ears. That's why Kenny Pickett's so high on my list is because uh, Greg Cosell has raved over him and said that scouts seen the same thing when it came to him. Another one is Malik Willis, kind of the opposite end of the spectrum, a very live arm, very mobile uh, you know, just a top-tier athlete when it comes to the quarterback position. It's just funny that, like I said a couple short weeks ago, no quarterbacks were getting drafted in the first round. Now all of a sudden you got the Saints climbing up, and Ian Rappaport kind of hinting that if they did want to jump up and take a quarterback, they now have the draft capital in the first round to do so. So thought that was worth mentioning because, guys – Let's hope that three quarterbacks go before the Packers pick, because that means three quarterback or three players of other positions that might be in the Packers top tier are now dropping down the board, whether it's they fall in their lap at twenty two or they then get within striking distance that they can trade up, not give up too much capital, and uh, be able to take a guy on their top tier. All right, guys, that's the show. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Um, you know, it's it's always a blast hanging out with you guys and just talking football. Um, keep the feedback coming on Twitter, guys. It's been excellent. The DMs have been blown up. Um, you know, guys tweeting at me. Um, we want feedback. We want to know that you're engaged. Give me topics. Give me ideas. Say, hey, man, I'd like, I'd like for you to cover this on a future show, and we'll do our best to kind of squeeze it in and give you guys what you want. But I can't tell you how much I appreciate how you guys have welcomed me into this Packernet podcast uh, community with open arms. And uh, it's just been uh, just an absolute blessing, man. It really has. But, again, thanks for tuning in. Hope you liked the history segment. Hope you liked how we broke down the safeties. Uh, we'll do it again here soon. I'm going to try to start pumping out more episodes uh, more often. If that's something you guys want to see, let us know. Tweet at me. Tweet at Ryan and say, hey, we want more Packers total access. And that's going to light a fire under me and, and kind of get the green light from Ryan. That, hey, yeah, all right, let's go ahead and get some more episodes out more frequently. And we'll do the best that we can, you know, given our busy schedules between family and work and all that to get you the content that you want. So uh, the only thing I got to say, guys, as we wrap up, um, you know, let's, uh, let's go out and be a blessing to each other. And, uh, you know, the old saying – be the change that you want to see in the world. I think that's something to live by. So, uh, as always, appreciate your time, and go Pack Go. I got some advice for y'all. Take two weeks off, then quit.